1: This is a very important portion of scripture for you to understand for all of us to comprehend because these are timeless truths that help to explain to us why we suffer. At least something that would help us to 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 put our to see our suffering in a new light, to see that there's a divine design to our suffering. Because if you understand these truths, you will have victory. In terms of attitude and how you respond to your suffering.
2: Hello, I'm Peter Silseth, and you are listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our instructor. He will be along in just a few seconds to begin the class. In our opening, Pastor Steve said we would be studying an important portion of Scripture. Of course, all of Scripture is important, but some of it is most valuable when we are feeling most desperate. This is one of those Bible passages, and you'll find it in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, turn to that chapter as Pastor Steve continues our study on the benefits of suffering.
1: One of the most important truths taught in the Bible is this. God sends affliction and suffering into the lives of His children. He's not remotely involved in your life in terms of pain and affliction. He is the ultimate source and cause of it. Things don't happen by accident. They are by divine design. And this truth is reiterated from cover to cover in Scripture, that God in His sovereignty is the one who sends us suffering. But of all the books in the Bible that deal with this subject, the one that uh, speaks about it more than any other book in the Scripture Is the book of Job. No man ever suffered like Job. Within a brief period of time, his ten children were crushed to death. His farm was destroyed. His health was taken from him. And even though we're told that Satan sent these afflictions, Job correctly understood that God... Is the ultimate source, the ultimate cause of his suffering. And I say this because of the very words of Job. Listen carefully to how Job responded when told that all his children were crushed to death. He said, first we're told that he worshiped the Lord with these words, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He recognized that God had given him children and God ultimately was the one who took them. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's where the worship comes in. See, Job recognized that God was the one who ultimately took the lives of his 10 children. Now, God may have used Satan, and he certainly did, but God was the true source of what had happened. And, and even when the text of Scripture in the book of Job goes on to tell us that Satan smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job sees God's uh, God's hand behind his affliction. He sees that God is behind it because he responds by saying this in in Job 2.10. He said, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Job understood that God gives good things as well as adversity in our lives. And lest we think that Job didn't understand what he was talking about. He was an ancient man. He had never been to Bible college or seminary. His theology was suspect. He got the wrong interpretation. I want you to know the inspired writer of the book of Job, whoever he was, may have been Job himself, we don't know, endorses Job's interpretation of what was going on. Because in the very next statement, after Job makes these two statements about worshiping God and the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, the writer says this, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In other words, Job was absolutely right in attributing adversity to God. And even though Job understood these things, Job still didn't sin with with his lips. He didn't get angry at God. He didn't curse God as his wife advised him to do that. So from the lips of a man whose name is synonymous with suffering, we learn that God sends affliction into the lives of his children. The question is, why? It isn't a matter of, does he? The question really is, why does he? Why would God, who loves his children, bring suffering into our lives? And the answer, in the broad sweep of Scriptures, that suffering is spiritually beneficial to the children of God. It may not feel good. In fact, it doesn't feel good, but it is helpful to our spiritual development. And while the Bible doesn't reveal everything about suffering, so that mysteries are still there, it does reveal that there are lessons to be learned in the school of affliction that cannot be learned anywhere else. And this morning, we want to study a passage of Scripture that helps us to understand some of the benefits of suffering. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We began several weeks ago a study of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and we noted at that time that the theme around which this letter rotates is Paul defending himself to the Corinthians as a legitimate apostle and minister of the gospel. You'll recall that we said at that time that false apostles, not just false teachers, not just false prophets, but false apostles claiming apostolic authority, claiming that they were Christ's true representative, claiming that what they had to say was what Christ was saying through them. These men had come into the church, this church, and they were claiming that while they were true apostles, Paul was a false apostle. They had it just the opposite. They had it just turned around. They said Paul wasn't a valid apostle. And, and that's why towards the end of this letter, Paul says such things as, uh, I'm not the least of the apostles. I am, an, uh, just like all the others, I am an equal apostle. That's why he says that these false apostles masquerade themselves as angels of light. Uh, that's why those statements are there. In fact, that's why in chapter 12, Verse 12, he says, the signs of a true apostle are miracles and and supernatural things. Why did he even say that? Because he was saying, I've done that. I've done those things. I am a true apostle. Now, do you realize the seriousness of this charge? This is not simply an academic charge that 2,000 years later we're interested in to try to find out some historical benefit and background of this book. This is serious. If Paul was not an apostle of Jesus Christ, not only were the Corinthians deceived, But beloved, you and I have been deceived and misled, and we're in big trouble if Paul wasn't an apostle, because much of what you believe about Christianity is based on Paul's letters. If Paul wasn't a true apostle, then that really undermines our faith, because most of what we know, much of what we know and interpret about the life and and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is primarily just presented to us in the Gospels, but not explained to us, Christ's teaching is, but but we don't get the fullness of the explanation until you come to Paul's letters. Yes, we do have Peter. Yes, we have uh, John. Yes, we have James. Yes, we have Jude. But but Paul explains to us, interprets to us what Christ's death and, and resurrection and, um, and his life is all about. So this is a very serious issue that Paul had to deal with. Very serious. Our faith is at stake if Paul's not a, a real apostle. But Paul did deal with it, and he dealt with it in this letter by writing to the Corinthians in which he defended himself of the charges leveled against him. And the first specific charge that he addresses in chapter 1 is the accusation that he had neglected the Corinthians by not visiting them. Remember we said this the other week? He told them that he planned to visit them. He goes on later in the chapter to explain this, that he planned to make a visit to the Corinthians, but he didn't. He planned it. it was on his itinerary, but he had to change his plans. The false apostles came in and said, "Aha, see, He's not a true an apostle, a true apostle, because a true apostle would not change his plans. This man is fickle, he's vacillating, he's untrustworthy. You can't believe what he has to say. He's told you about Christ. How do you know that's true? He might change that. That's why Paul says, "I want you to know my yes is yes, and my no is no." What I have to say, I'm not confused about that." But what he does do also is he defends this charge not only by defending in general his integrity, but he does it by first explaining that the reason that he had to change his plans to visit them because of was because of some severe suffering that he endured while in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He says that in verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Paul said, I want you to know there's a good reason that I changed my, my plans. I suffered a great deal. I think the Corinthians understood that he suffered. What I don't think they understood was the severity of his suffering and how it affected them. But what Paul does, rather than just simply mention that he couldn't visit them because he had a problem, Paul uses his suffering to show them that what he went through actually benefited them. The false apostle said he's neglecting you. He doesn't care about you. In fact, they probably also said his suffering is proof that he's not a real apostle. Why would a real man of God go through such suffering? We're not going through suffering like that. You know, you really hear that today, even in the modern day charismatic movement, which says something like this. If you're really of God, you should be healthy and happy and, and not have any of these problems. Well, if that's the case, Paul absolutely blew it in his life. Because Paul suffered, suffered greatly, but he wants to show them here that his sufferings actually are beneficial to minister to them as well as to honor the Lord. And so what we're going to do this morning is, is delve deeper into what we started a few weeks ago into looking at the three ways that, that suffering benefits others as well as honors the Lord. This is a very important portion of scripture for you to understand, for all of us to comprehend, because these are timeless truths that help to explain to us why we suffer. At least something that would help us to, to, to put our, to see our suffering in a new light, to see that there's a divine design to our suffering. Because if you understand these truths, you will have victory in terms of attitude and how you respond to your suffering. If you don't do this, you will become a complaining, griping, angry Christian, one who is filled with self-pity. And there are many believers in Christ just like that. They are miserable in their difficult circumstances, and no matter what you say to them, they're not going to listen. Because either they don't know how to put their pain into a biblical framework or else they they just refuse to accept what God has sovereignly sent into their lives, and therefore they are in rebellion to their to His plan for them, and they are really angry at him, angry at him. so if you can receive and internalize the truths that Paul teaches here about the benefits of suffering, you will have victory. you will be triumphant, no matter what you're going through. well let's begin to go into this last time we studied. This, we began to look at the first benefit of suffering. We're going to continue looking at the first benefit of suffering and just take it a little bit uh, deeper. And that is this truth. Suffering enables us to comfort others who suffer. Suffering enables us, it equips you, it prepares you, it teaches you how to comfort others who are suffering. And we begin where Paul begins in verse three and then a little bit into verse four. He writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Paul starts off by praising God for being the source of all comfort, source of all mercy. There is no genuine comfort apart from what God has to offer. And how does God comfort us? How does he do this? Does he give you just the warm fuzzies inside? Does he give you a peaceful feeling? How does God actually comfort us? He comforts us through his word. How else would he comfort us? He comforts us through his word. Now, it's important that you and I understand that the word comfort here does not mean ease. It does not mean sympathy. It's it's the Greek word, which means to call alongside of, to help. And the thought here is to strengthen you, to encourage you, to help you. It can be translated exhort you, which in the, in the sense of exhorting you to move on and press on to strengthen you in your weakness. It, it also can be translated console you, but it is not a word of ease. It is a word of strength. It is the word of God that strengthens our troubled hearts because it is through the Bible that God communicates his truth to us. How else would he comfort us? For example, do you remember in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 when Paul has to deal with these troubled Thessalonians because their loved ones had died. Some of their loved ones had died and they needed a word from God as to as to would these folks miss out on the rapture? Would they miss out on the resurrection? Well, they'll miss out on the rapture, but they won't miss out on the resurrection. Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive will join them in the air, we will always be with the Lord. And then remember what he said, comfort one another with what? These words. It's the word of God that brings comfort. Jesus in John chapter 14 had to address some very troubled and disturbed disciples, and he said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. They were troubled because Jesus said, I'm leaving you physically, and they were troubled. And how did Jesus soothe their hearts? How did he strengthen them? He taught them. It's called the upper room discourse. Sometimes he comforts us by a promise from his word. You're lonely. Perhaps you've Recently lost a dear loved one, maybe a spouse you've been married to for many, many years, and you're lonely and you're down. His word comforts you because you read in the scriptures, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. You may be lonely, but his word tells you you're never alone. Sometimes he comforts us by reminding us that he gives strength to endure any trial. Sometimes he doesn't take the pain away. He keeps us in that trial, but he strengthens us while we go through it. And you hear his words say, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I'll be your strength. And you're comforted. Sometimes he comforts us by reminding us that he's sovereign and that nothing can come into our lives that he hasn't sent. All things, we're told, work together for good. Sometimes he comforts us in the form of a biblical story of how he strengthened an Old Testament character during his trial. You read about David running from Saul and, and the enemies that David had, and, and yet David communed with God and God's word ministered to him. And you go, that's what I need because I'm like David. You read about Moses suffering, about Joseph suffering, and, and how God ministered to them, and that brings encouragement to your own heart. So that's how God does it. God is the one who comforts us through his word. The question is why? Why does he comfort us in all our afflictions? Well, certainly one reason is because he loves us. He cares about us. Secondly, by nature, he is a comforter. He is the originator of mercy. That's what it means, the father of mercy. It originated with him. There is no mercy apart from him, no comfort apart from him. But there is another reason. And Paul tells us in verse four, it goes beyond us beyond ourselves. He says, verse four, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, one reason that God sends suffering into our lives is to bring us comfort from his word. But it doesn't stop there. We go to his word. It drives us to his word. We, we learn a truth that ministers to us. But Paul says so that, and whenever you read in scripture so that, it means here's the purpose. Here's the reason behind it. So that we can take that comforting truth and share it with others who are also suffering. Beloved, that's why you're going through some trials. That makes sense. Now, there are several truths here that I, that I think are related to this principle. So let me share it with you. Number one, the fact that, that God comforts us so that we can comfort others really ought to help us to make sense out of our own affliction so that it's not confusing. You may not understand everything, but you can understand this. It should put your suffering in, in some kind of biblical framework and perspective. Your suffering has a purpose. There is a divine design. God loves you so much that he has a plan for you in which you suffer so you can be comforted, so you can comfort others. And his purpose really is not just to give you comfort, but to drive you to his word, to drive you to his word so that you can dig into the riches of the word of God and dig out those treasures and understand true comfort. And then you pass that on to someone else. And I think there's a marvelous truth here that that you're not alone in this. Your suffering is not only for you. That's why you're part of the body of Christ. There's a whole concept that we often miss. We're, We're such individualists that we fail to understand that this is part of being a member in the church. That you ought to be moving alongside of others, close enough to others to minister to them. God ministers comfort to you so that you can minister to others. You can be his instrument. You're not alone in this. And if you're going through suffering and pain, get involved in the life of this church. Get involved with other believers so that you don't just attend here and leave and that's all your involvement in Lakeside. Be a part of people's lives and you'll, you'll derive benefit as well as you'll have the opportunity to minister to them. The second truth I see here is that we need to understand that we are the only people on the face of this planet that can minister true comfort to anyone else. There is no other comfort apart from what God has to say. And yet people try to offer comfort, and they probably mean very well. They're probably very sincere, but think about what people who don't know Christ say, comfort. I mean, I've, I've known a people who um, someone has died who didn't know Christ, and uh, we know from the Bible, if they die without Christ, the Bible says they go to eternal torment in hell. And yet others have said, "Well, they're they're out of their pain now; they're out of their misery." And I, I wouldn't say that the first thing you say to someone is they're not in heaven. I'm not I'm not talking about that. But uh, all they're trying to do is relieve some some kind of suffering. But you don't do that with error. You don't do that with, with error. And, and others, I mean, what can they say? It'll be all right. I mean, just in any suffering, everything will work out. It'll be okay. My, uh, my dear mom, before she came to Christ, was um, was such a, uh, a wonderful mother. And, and in her eyes, unfortunately, I could do no wrong. And uh, there would be times I'd absolutely make the dumbest decisions and choices. And you know what she'd say? It was the right choice. And I'd say, why is that? Because you made it. See, that's supposed to give me comfort. I made it. I blundered, but she wouldn't admit that. No, you made it. I'm sure it was the right choice. That was her feeble attempt to to bring comfort to me when I have absolute when I absolutely blew it in my life, and was paying the consequences for it. So understand that if you don't bring comfort to people, nobody else can. Because only God and truth in His Word can bring true comfort. Now someone someone may think. Well, I understand this. I know what you're talking about. I can receive this truth. And that may be good for some people, but my suffering is so enormous, so intense, so painful that there isn't enough comfort to help me. You don't understand my situation. In fact, it's wonderful to see. And I mentioned this last time. Let me show you again in verse four. Paul says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. I don't have to have gone through what they're going through to bring comfort because my experience is not the comfort. It's the word that's the comfort. But someone may say, no, 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 I'm so beyond that. It's so painful what I'm going through. There isn't enough comfort in the world to minister to me. Well, that's why Paul wrote verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are, are ours in abundance, So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Essentially, this verse is saying that no matter how much we suffer, our affliction never outweighs God's comfort. In other words, when we suffer a great deal, God brings a great deal of comfort into our lives. If your suffering comes in like a flood, understand that God sends comfort like a flood. God's comfort is equal to our suffering. So, that, that is answered. If you if you think that your suffering is more than God can handle, then you don't understand God. It really
2: is pretty arrogant to say that our suffering is beyond God's ability to comfort, isn't it? We're either reducing God or elevating ourselves. Either way, we rob ourselves of the very comfort that we need. Well, time is short today, so let's get ready to say goodbye until our next class. Now, you have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries now makes Pastor Steve's messages available to you through this radio station as well as our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you visit our website, you can listen again to today's class or any of the previous lessons, which you'll find on our archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry made possible through the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own local church. Today's class is the first part of a two-part message. You can order the entire message on cassette tape or audio CD by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a phone number and we will return your call during weekday office hours. The number again, 727-441-1714. Perhaps you're still not sure that your own suffering isn't so great that there is no comfort for you. I'm Peter Silseth. I hope you can join us for our next Verse by Verse. We will be moving on to see some ways that God does comfort us and even grows us through our afflictions so that we can move on to be a comfort to others.